helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. In today's show, Michael will be using the biblical story of the prodigal son to discuss the topic, Five Essential Elements of a Sincere Apology. If you are new to this show, we're on the air every Monday morning at 9.30. You can find out more about our not-for-profit organization by going to elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or by calling one 544 3546. This is a listener-sponsored broadcast, so if you like this show, consider supporting us by making a donation at elimcounselingministry.com. Let's go right into today's show. Have you had someone apologize to you for a wrong against you, and the apology leaves you feeling worse than before? Or perhaps your experience is that you have had apologies that leave you with the feeling that the person is not really sorry or that something is missing. One of the hallmarks of any healthy relationship is the ability of the individuals within that relationship to have a sense of guilt when they do something wrong and to sincerely apologize in ways that make the other person feel heard and understood. Without sincere apologies, The relationship stalls and stagnates. Resentment builds with each offense. And the relationship, in many cases, falls apart. In today's show, I will be using the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15.11-32 to bring to our attention five essential elements of a sincere apology. Let's go straight to the text. In Luke 15, 11 to 32, we have the following words. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got Together, all he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In the story of the prodigal son, we have a picture of a son who is self-centered and whose self-centeredness has led to the broken relationship with his father. So he is headed off to this foreign land in the story, and in this land he has squandered the father's inheritance. And so this squandering of the father's inheritance came to a situation, developed into a situation where he became, he came to a point where the Bible says he came to himself, to his senses, to his senses, and quickly realized that he had made a mistake and that he had to go back to the father and apologize to the father. And it is within this context of the apology that we're going to find as we pick apart the story today, the five essential elements of a sincere apology. All of these apologies are found, sorry, all of these elements, I should say, are found within the context of the text. So the first thing I want to highlight in this story, and I think this should be a part of any any sincere apology, and if this is not in an apology that you have been given, then it's not a sincere apology. So the first thing is that there needs to be a turning away from whatever it is that caused the separation in the first place. In this story, the son is turning away from his wayward living from the the thing that made him separate from his father. And he's saying, I am going back to my father. So he's turning his back on the very thing that hurt his father. And he's saying, I am going back to my father. An apology is never sincere if the person who has hurt you want to continue doing the same thing that has caused the pain. I've seen situations where, for example, there is an affair and the person is caught in the affair and they are sorry that their partner is hurting, but they are not quite ready to end the relationship as yet. So in in that kind of a scenario, the person might regret that the other person is hurting. They might regret that they have been caught. They might even feel shame that their fear has become public. But if they are not willing to turn away from their fear and back to their relationship, then whatever they say does not amount to an apology. 
a re- being being regretful for one's action is not the same as an apology. You can regret the consequences of something, but yet not have remorse for what you have done. Remorse for something, for one's action, will lead to a turning away from that thing because you will realize the person who has who has perpetrated the arm to the other person will realize what they have done and will turn away from it. So an apology is never sincere if the person continues to repeat the same behavior or if they're unwilling to turn away from that which caused the pain. The second point that we see in the story is that the son took the initiative. So if an apology is sincere, the person who has perpetrated the arm to the other will take the initiative to apologize. If you have to go to the person to beg for an apology, what you are going to get coming back is not a sincere apology. You can force someone to say, I apologize. But if that apology is not coming from a place of remorse, is not initiated by the the person that caused the offense, then it is not likely to be sincere. Uh, an apology that you ask for is kind of like, like asking someone to say, I love you. Can you please tell me that you love me? And the person will say, all right, I love you. Well, that's not the same as if the person came to you spontaneously and said, you know what, I'm so much in love with you. I love you so much. You might get the words, but is it coming from the heart? And so a sincere apology is usually initiated by the person who did the wrong. And so in the text in verse 18 Of the passage that we have just read in Luke 15, we are told that it is the son that took the initiative. He said, I will set out and I will go back to my father. So he took that first step and he said, I am going back to my father. It wasn't the father that came to him begging him to say that he's sorry. And I see many situations in which people become desperate because the the person that they love has walked away from them. They have turned their back and they go after the person begging them to come back, begging them to apologize. And what they get is that they get their hearts broken over and over and over again. Because you can force a person to come back to you, but if they are not ready, if they are not taking that step coming from a place of of deep motivation inside, a place that is filled with remorse and an understanding of how much they have hurt you, it is not likely to be sincere. It is very difficult for some people to say, I am sorry. They have done study. In one study that was done by psychologist Andrew Howell 
of Grant McEwen University, what they said is that people with low self-esteem, for example, were less inclined to apologize after a conflict, even if they feel badly about it. And there, there's something about low self-esteem where a person might realize what they're doing is wrong, but they will not initiate the the, the the contact to say that they are sorry because that low self-esteem might make them feel as if something is being taken away from them. So for, for a person to apologize, people who can apologize and come to you and say, I am sorry, usually need to have a very healthy sense of self. So if you're in a relationship with someone and you have been hurt over and over and over again and you can't get the apology that you need, it is quite likely that this person has low self-esteem. It might, might masquerade as pride, but it's usually rooted in cell in low self esteem so the person who is who is sincerely sorry can usually muster up the courage to go to the other person and say i am sorry and if they can't then there are likely to be psychological barriers such as low self esteem now the third point that i would like to to point to today is that uh, for an apology to be sincere, there needs to be an understanding and an expression of the gravity of the offense. People who have hurt you in tremendous ways, ways that cause pain, that cause you sleepless nights, that cause you to be pouring out tears upon your pillow at night, and they come to you and say, I am sorry. That doesn't really capture it. Some people want to say, I'm sorry as quickly as possible and to move on. Can we just move on now? I have said I'm sorry. Let's not talk about it anymore. If you are in that kind of a scenario where someone is apologizing to you and they want it to be a quick fix, they want this the, the, the apology to be as brief as possible, then the apology is not sincere. In this story, we see, we see the prodigal son expressing the gravity of what he has done in chapter 18, in, in verse 18, the first part of verse, it's the second part of verse 18, where he said, I have sinned against heaven and against you, my father. So let's think about that for a moment. This prodigal son is amplifying the ex the 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 the, the magnitude is amplifying what he has done the, the the severity I should say of what he has done to his father. He could have just said, "You know, Father, I have sinned against you," but he said, "No, I have even sinned against God in this thing that I have done." So, in other words. If someone is sincerely sorry for what they have done, they will have a tendency not to minimize the harm that they have caused, but usually to magnify it, to talk about it in detail, and to express deep remorse for what they have done. 
people with borderline personality disorder or narcissism have a very hard time doing this because they can't feel that they can't feel empathy for the person that they have hurt and so they might be upset and they might even shed tears when you are talking about what you're doing. But don't let those tears fool you. Because sometimes the tears that the person with borderline personality or narcissism is crying is not coming from a place of remorse. It's coming from a place because they feel sorry for themselves. I want, I remember one situation where this couple was sitting before me and the person who had perpetrated the arm to the other, he started crying and the tears looked genuine. They were just rolling off his cheek, full in the napkin that he had wiping his face. And at some point after he was wailing and, and weeping, I said to him, what are those tears about? And he said, I am afraid she's going to leave me. So to me, that is not remorse. That is not saying, I am sorry for the arm, the, the, the harm that I have caused you. This is saying, I'm sorry for myself. I'm afraid that you are going to leave me. So someone who is sincerely sorry understands the gravity of what they have done. They have a tendency, they will have a tendency to speak about the seriousness of their offense. Whereas we find the opposite in people who cannot apologize. They have this tendency to want to move on very quickly, for things to be remedied as fast as possible, and for the relationship to get back to normal by doing as little as they can or by saying as little as they can. But in the story of the prodigal son, the son said, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you, my Father. And this is a lesson for us when we have done something wrong. It's important that we do not minimize what we have done. It's better for us to magnify what we did wrong. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show, where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on the topic, Five Essential Elements of a Sincere Apology. Elim is a Christian counseling organization that provides professional counseling from a Christian perspective. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Donations help us provide counseling services to the less fortunate of our society and help us keep this program on the air. Back to Michael. The fourth element of a sincere apology is an expression of undeservedness. If you have someone who has done you wrong and they're speaking to you in terms that they're still deserving of a relationship with you. For example, people who have done tremendous harm to their partner, and they will say things, well, the Bible says you are to forgive me, so, you know, uh, you should forgive me. Or they say things like, you know, 
I, the Bible said we can't divorce. I'm your husband, so you have to forgive me. God hates divorce, and so we, ha- you know, you have to forgive me. When you hear statements like those, it is not showing this sense of undeservedness that we see in the story of the prodigal son. Notice what the prodigal son says in verse 19 when he came back to his father. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, what I have done is so grave that I am not coming to you with a sense of entitlement. I am not coming to you saying that the scripture says that I need to be forgiven. I am not coming to you saying I am your son, we are, we are blood, so uh, you need to forgive me. You know, he's coming saying, I have hurt you in such a way that I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I think in some situations where people have done tremendous harm to others, such as in cases of an affair, you, what is needed in those situations is not for someone to display this sense of, okay, I said I'm sorry, why, why can't you forgive me? What we need is this kind of an attitude where the person would say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your husband. If you decide to leave me, I could understand because what I have done is such a big offense. I have sinned against you and I have sinned against God in this thing I have done and I am no longer worthy to be called your husband or I am no no longer worthy to be called your wife. But what I see in many cases is that the apology and the, the, the way that people manifest, the way that they approach and they are trying to reconcile the relationship actually show the sense of entitlement. But what we really need is this this sense of undeservedness that we see in this story. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And this show that this, this prodigal son is feeling guilt over what he has done. There is research that has been done by June Tange and her colleagues at George Mason, Uni- George Mason University. And they did a study of inmates, over 470 inmates who had committed all range of crime. And they tried to figure out why is it that some people go on to commit crimes again once they, once they get released from prison? Why is that? others didn't commit the crime again. And what they found was interesting. What they found in this research was that the, the, the inmates who had tremendous guilt over what they had done, who expressed guilt for what they did, that these inmates were less likely to reoffend. In other words, this feeling of guilt and not feeling as if, you know, society owed them something or they had a right to do what they did because society is so unfair. No, the inmates who felt guilt over what they had done were very much less likely to to reoffend. Uh, to, the, the, to the contrary, what they also found is that inmates, some inmates who had shame that they were more likely to reoffend, because in many cases, the shame that these inmates had was them feeling sorry for themselves and them feeling 
anger towards others because of the position that they're in. So they're feeling shame, but for many of these inmates, the shame is is being expressed in anger to others. So they're saying that guilt more than shame is a predictor of, of who is more likely to offend. So in other words, inmates who showed guilt were less likely to reoffend, whereas inmates who express shame were more likely to reoffend once released into society. However, when it came to shame, the research said that they discovered that there were two types of shame, that there was this first type of shame where inmates blamed others and were angry at others, but there were another type of shame where where inmates were angry at themselves for what they did. And they're saying that that type of shame where inmates are were angry at themselves showed that those type of inmates who were angry at themselves were less likely to offend. So in this story, when we have the, the prodigal son showing this undeservedness, we could say there is a sense of hell to shame there where he's saying, I no longer deserve to have the status of a son. I want to be taken back as a hired servant. So this undeservedness could be a type of healthy shame and guilt that he is displaying here. The fifth point that I would like to point to today is that in genuine in genuine apology, there is usually a willingness to make some sort of restitution. And I'll elaborate on that a little bit more as we go through this point, because in some cases, restitution of kind might not be possible. But restitution of some kind is usually a, a sign that the person is genuinely sorry. So we see this in the story of the prodigal son when the son said in verse 19, make me like one of your hired servants. So he said, I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So I'm not coming back in, with a status of sonship. Take me back as a hired servant. And it is this type of attitude that showed that this prodigal son was genuinely sorry. When people have a sense of entitlement and they're not willing to make any kind of restitution, they're not willing to make any kind of sacrifice, they're not willing to give up anything for the sake of the relationship or or in an attempt to mend the relationship, there is not usually a genuine remorse in those situations. So when the son said, make me like one of your hired servants, what is he say? What he's saying there that I am coming back and I'm going to, to work for my father to, to give him back the profit that I have taken from him, to help him to recuperate some of the money that I have squandered. I am going back as a hired servant. I am giving up my rights 
to sonship. So he's giving up something, he's sacrificing something for the sake of the relationship. But in many cases, people come back with this sense of entitlement. They come back not willing to make any kind of sacrifice. I have cheated and I have and I have stolen the money, but I want you to trust me just like before. I, 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 have, I have showed myself to be untrustworthy, but I deserve your trust. And so they're not giving up anything. So this attitude of the prodigal son shows a sense of humility. It also shows this this attitude that is willing to do whatever it took to reestablish the relationship. In the story in Genesis 32 and 13 to 18, we see Jacob making restitution to his brother. He came back and he said, and he's giving to Jacob what he had stolen. He's giving to Esau what he has stolen from him. So there you have it. These are the five points that I want to elaborate on today. I could say a lot more, but we are out of time for today. So I want to encourage you that if you have missed the first part of this show, you can listen to these five points, the five essential elements by going to our website, Elim Counseling Ministry dot com. Elim is spelled E L I M Counseling with two L's Ministry dot com. Or you can also call us at one eight seven seven five four four three five four six. I want to also remind you that we have over two hundred podcasts on our YouTube channel. In our channel so far, a lot of you have been joining in and and commenting on our podcast that we have. They want to remind you that those videos are there for you free of cost. You can go and you can listen to past episodes as well as this podcast on, on our YouTube channel. You can access that channel by going to our website, elementcounselingministry.com. We also want to encourage you, if you haven't donated to this show as yet, please consider giving a donation. Donation helps us to stay on the air and to provide the kind of services we do. So until next time, this is Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services, praying that God will bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. <music>